Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio by Rashpixel.fm. I'm your host, Megan Strand with Engage for Good. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at engageforgood.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash cause talk radio. There's over 180,000 titles for you to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash cause talk radio and get your free audiobook today. episode of Cause Talk Radio, I chat with Kevin McAndrew, Senior Director of Social Innovation Partnerships at the nonprofit Save the Children. Kevin and I talk about how corporate partnerships have evolved over the years and how his organization has worked to scale and adapt in new and sophisticated ways. We have a fascinating conversation about skills-based volunteering, cause marketing, employee engagement, and social innovation, and the distinction Kevin makes between shared value and transformational partnerships. Kevin shares his thoughts on common mistakes nonprofits tend to make, his unique view on the value that corporate partner teams brings to an organization, as well as some examples about how they're co-creating some very cool new innovative technologies with corporate partners. We finish up with Kevin's prediction for this new election year. Hey, Kevin, welcome to Cause Talk Radio. Hi, Megan. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to start off with kind of a strange question, but your title is Senior Director of Social Innovation Partnerships, which sounds very fancy. Would you start off by sharing a little bit about what your job entails? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, it might sound fancy, but I don't know that it actually is, but I'm happy <laughs> to talk a little bit about it. Um, so first, I, I'll, I just want to talk a little about the, the trends that we see in the, the corporate group at Save the Children that led to us even creating jobs that sound like social innovation partnerships. Yeah, please. Um, so from our perspective, you know, we see a lot of things changing in the world of corporate philanthropy. If you go back, I don't know, 15 or 20 years, and I've been doing this stuff for about 15 years, um, things were relatively unsophisticated. There was a lot of just traditional philanthropy happening. Um, you know, budgets would get spent in maybe not the most strategic way. Things are completely different now. You know, we've all heard about shared value. Uh, we we all work on very sophisticated cause marketing campaigns. Um, companies have started to engage their supply chains in what they do for social impact. And you know, we're now talking about things like social enterprises and triple bottom line. So across that whole spectrum, we've seen our partners kind of move, and we saw a need to kind of redefine how we speak to the private sector. Uh, from our team here at Save the Children. So when we talk about social innovation partnerships, uh, really that's what we're trying to capture is this idea of trying to do our work in a different way and try to work with the private sector in a different, more sophisticated way. Um, but, you know, down to brass tacks, uh, I'm focused on building new partnerships with the private sector. Uh, so we differentiate between managing existing relationships from building new ones. Uh, and the team I lead uh, focuses on the technology sector, um, working with skills-based volunteering aspects of corporate partnerships. Uh, we have a subgroup also focused on cause marketing, gift in kind, um, employee engagement. So we've, we've tried to build a, a group focused on partnership development, 
in a very holisticated kind of multifaceted way where we can really come to the table with everything uh, when we talk to a corporate partner and not just focus solely on uh, fundraising. So it, it's very much a consultative type of role um, that I have. How many people are on your team, Kevin? Uh, in the in the whole corporate function, uh, there's maybe 35-ish of us. And uh, in the new business function, there's about a dozen. Um, I think about 14 of us at the moment. Well, you mentioned shared value a couple of minutes ago, and that is such a buzzword right now. But you really make a distinction between shared value and what you call transformational partnerships. So can you talk a little bit about that and what you see the difference as and how you're approaching your corporate partnerships? with that philosophy? Yeah, happy to do that. And, you know, I think either of these things can very quickly become jargon or buzzwords. So, you know, not to get too hung up on like definitions of things, but we do see a little bit of a a difference between what shared value has come to be meant and how the the private sector has risen to that challenge, I guess you could call it, um, and transformational partnerships. So for us, you know, shared value is something a company really could kind of do on their own. I like to give the example of like the hypothetical shampoo company. Like if you're a shampoo company and you want to have an environmental impact, you could donate money to the Sierra Club and put it on the sort of the bottle of shampoo to advertise it. Or you could reformulate your actual packaging and your supply chain and then you could have your own environmental impact and you could do it on your own. So for us, shared value is fantastic. It's wonderful. We have a lot of partnerships that fit in that vein. Um, but we want to focus on the kinds of collaborations between NGOs and companies where each of those organizations can do something different and better than they'd be able to do by themselves. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what we're trying to capture with transformational partnerships is this idea of co-creating something that's bigger than the sum of its parts. What do you think some of the biggest mistakes that nonprofits are making when they're approaching corporate partners? Or maybe this is something that you've kind of learned the hard way yourself. And I'm not asking you to kind of point fingers. I'm just saying generally, um, as you're looking maybe at, you know, your own corporate partnerships that have left other nonprofit organizations or, you know, just what's out there in the marketplace, what you're seeing. Yeah. So some of the business biggest mistakes, and I, I've probably made plenty of these myself, um, you know, working from the NGO side with the private sector side for the last 15 or so years. Um, And I'm sure I'll probably make some more too (laughs) in the future. Um, But the way I would capture this is there's probably like kind of like four categories. One of them is around having a tendency to present proposals to your partners or to your funders versus opportunities to fix problems with a clear rationale for why they're the partner who will help you fix that problem the best, right? So like really understanding the value of that engagement versus a transactional request for cash. And I think, you know, going back to that evolution of the sector, um, that is becoming less and less interesting and effective to the corporate audience because they're becoming much more sophisticated. You know, they're hiring people in from, institutional roles and from UN previous roles uh, to run their foundations and run their social impact shop. And, um, you know, just to present a proposal that's very transactional just doesn't work anymore. So they want something they're like uniquely qualified, you know, to make an impact in the world. You know, their company is uniquely qualified to do it. Yeah. And I think they want to understand why um, it's important to work together with 
whoever the NGO is that's talking to them, right? So being really clear about what's that crossover mm-hmm. that uh, that has value just in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think linked to that, just because at Save the Children, at least, it's a very large organization. I'm sure many other organizations are the same way, where if you're in a small NGO, which I've been in the past, things are so fast moving and it's like a startup environment. It's It's easy to not fully understand what you're, organization really needs Mm -hmm. you know it's easy to say how much money we need to hit our budget marks in a year but that doesn't necessarily mean it's truly what you need to do your mission effectively Mm -hmm. Uh, so i think that can sort of lead to the earlier issue i just described but you know defaulting towards just talking about the money you need versus really truly what you have to have to be a better organization that's another mistake um Another one is kind of the reverse, right? Not fully understanding what your partner needs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. You know, I think fundraiser, I don't, I don't like the word <laughs> fundraiser. Um, it's really more about being consultative um, and really coming to the table with true value-added suggestions and a true understanding of the things that your corporate counterparts are looking to accomplish above and beyond spending their philanthropic budget. Cause that's not like, that's easy for them to do. Um, but for them to really move the needle on whatever they're focused on for the business, that's really where, um, where the value's at. Um, so I'd say those are really kind of the, the three main things. I feel like sometimes it's hard to get to some of those business challenges or opportunities because sometimes, you know, you may have an idea that's, addressing a need that they don't even necessarily know that they have or a business objective that's somewhat hidden like how do you how do you get to that because i feel like that's kind of a that's an advanced strategy kevin why thank you <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah you know i don't think there's like a clean answer to your question really yeah i think it's just about reimagining how you do the job of a fundraiser mm-hmm. and turn it away from just making the asks that are narrowly defined in terms of budgetary needs and right. shortfall in countries and to trust that if you build a strong relationship where there's mutual understanding between the NGO and the, and the corporate, that the kind of support you ultimately would want will happen anyways. Mm-hmm. But you, you've built a broader base that you can grow from, right? right. Like I like that relationships are worth more than grants, like mm-hmm. always, especially over the long term. And so I think that's really what it's about. It's it's not about fundraising. It's about relationship building and consulting and understanding where you add value. It's a hard exercise. You know, we, we're under a lot of pressure as NGOs. We don't have thick overhead budgets to uh, support our dreams and hopes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot to invest in our own work. And so we do rely on our partners for it. And it can create a little bit of uh, a frantic um, sort of feeling, I think sometimes right, right. In that, but I think it's all about, you know, trust the process and trust that relationships are more valuable than making kind of transactional requests. Um, at least in my experience. Today's podcast is brought to you by audible, get a free audiobook download and 30 day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash cause talk radio. 
My guest, Kevin McAndrew, has a book recommendation for you, and it's called Guns, Germs, and Steel, The Fate of Human Societies by Jared Diamond. According to Kevin, this was a transformative book for him personally and reshaped the way he views the world. Kevin says it does a masterful job transcending the unfortunately still pervasive racial explanations of global development and works to bring a more scientific and objective understanding of how the world truly works. I don't know about you, but I'm intrigued. You can download Guns, Germs, and Steel for free on Audible with your 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash cause talk radio. What are some of the ways that you at Save the Children measure impact? And can you talk a little bit about how those measurements kind of come into play when dealing with corporate partners or maybe even when recruiting corporate partners? Yeah, sure. And, you know, these, these again, there's not like one answer to this question because it really sure. is different on who the partner is, what they're looking to accomplish, and um, what the projects are that you're actually doing with them. So, you know, if we're talking about a partner who's doing something like field deployed, you know, they have a project in a country where they're supporting specific work, we will obviously be tracking um, all that kind of activity level results. So we'll track the activities we've done for them, the immediate kind of outputs of those activities, right? So we did 10 trainings in these schools, um, as well as then the outcomes. So we did 10 trainings in these schools, and the teachers then taught these four new things more effectively. Um, the ultimate thing to track is the actual impact, right? Right. So you did those trainings in those schools, and then those youth didn't drop out four years later from high school. Right. And draw that kind of correlation or that causal link. That level of sophistication is not typically something, unfortunately, that we do very often with our corporate partners, right? Because the time horizon is so far out. Yeah. They usually over years, and you got to do sophisticated you know, random control trials. Right. To, and uh, it's expensive, I would imagine. It costs a ton of money. Yeah. So it's about kind of matching up the metrics that the partner wants to see with, you know, the resources that are actually available because it all, right. it all does have associated. Um, and, you know, if we are more oriented towards marketing with a partner, we'll have performance metrics built into the campaign, you know, social media views or whatever the, the stats might be. Um, and same thing, you know, if our skills-based volunteering team, which we have uh, two full-time headcount dedicated towards, um, is bringing in skills-based volunteers to deploy to a country for a few months or to sit in our finance operation for a couple weeks, uh, you know, there'll be deliverables on the project. Um, and so, you know, there's not any one answer, but we do have ways of tracking all the different kinds of collaborations we might do. And, um, you know, I think this also gets back to measuring impact is also true for our team internal to save the children as an organization. And, you know, it's about reimagining what we mean to the bottom line of save the children, right? The easy thing, I think the thing we all do as NGOs is, you know, we, we measure how much money we've raised in a year, or we monetize the in-kind donations we've received in a year. And that's our contribution in terms of revenue. But when we talk about the sort of role I have, social innovation, transformational partnerships, what's the value-added benefit of having a corporate partner, right? Because corporate partners aren't the easiest way to raise a lot of money. If you're working with individual donors, you can go get $50 million in one bid. That's not going to happen in the corporate sector. And so there's value-added benefit, we believe, 
in pulling down the skills, the products, co-creating new things, helping to infuse Save the Children with new capacity because of that we're working with a corporate partner. Right? So doing the more innovative things around the edges of the big, large, stable institutional projects, that's really where we're starting to try to measure what is the value-added effect of the corporate team on our mission beyond the revenue we drive. And of course, the revenue is like base business, but I don't think it should be the ambition. The ambition should be everything incremental to the cash, because otherwise you're leaving value on the table. Uh, so that's, that's how we like to approach partnerships, is really trying to make them holistic, nuanced, specific, mm-hmm. and really about impact to our mission. Have you gotten different questions from your corporate partners, let's say over the past couple of years when it comes to talking about impact and measuring impact? Like, are you hearing different things from corporate partners or are they pretty much kind of saying the same things they always have? I I think they might be asking more detailed questions Mm -hmm. as they become more sophisticated as organization, as they put a finer point on the business rationale behind their social impact agenda. um, They start to then have more sophisticated questions in terms of how do you do your work? How do you measure the impact and efficacy of your work? Mm -hmm. Because pulls up into the kinds of things they're going to track. When you start to engage with a new corporate partner, do you have any sort of process that you work through or does it really vary depending on who the corporate partner is and where they are and what the project is? Do you have any sort of framework that you use at SAFE? We, we have as much of a framework as I think makes sense to have because it's, it's a little bit of the Wild West, right? Um, it's it's very much kind of foamy, uh, foamy and frothy and unpredictable. <laughs> Things go really fast and they go away fast. Um, there's not a lot of the um, predictability you've got with an established, you know, relationship you've had for you know decades with a trusted partner where you can really kind of incrementally grow things and improve them over time. When you're talking about brand new, net new conversations. You know, really just trying to get to know each other and understand where the overlaps are. Um, it's, yeah, things are up and down very quick. But we do have an approach. You know, we measure the traditional sales funnel. So we're, we're measuring our research stage activities and our outreach stage activities. How many things are actively being discussed in sort of like, you know, active discussions. Um, we look at the conversion rates from all those different this stages. And then, you know, proposal phase and hopefully getting agreements signed to really do some work. So, you know, we take the classic kind of sales funnel approach to that. And, uh, you know, we know that the front end of that funnel is always the most important. And so within our team of, you know, not too many people, uh, we're always trying to kind of be fluid between the group and make sure there's enough front of the funnel activity happening in terms of research and outreach to sort of feed things through as conversations get started and then they might dwindle away, uh, being able to replace those with new ones um, over time. So it's always a little bit of a dance. That's that's kind of how we do it. And, you know, these things take time. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've been able to start a new collaboration in anything less than maybe 18 to 24 months. Mm-hmm. You know, a substantial thing, a thing that's not transactional. Right. Yep. Uh, and so even though we're in the new business uh, sort of focus, the new partnership building focus, Um, there are partners we've worked with more than once because we really haven't gotten to the point where we've figured out that stable collaboration. So, you know, do a few transactional things up front as you get to know each other. Mm -hmm. 
but you know, like I said before, it's all about relationship building in the long term, um, more than making huge requests for millions of dollars and multi-year funding off the bat, because that tends to uh, to not work, or at least to set you for some revenue risk. Because then, if those go away, you've got a big hole to fill, right? So we have hundreds of moderately sized partners than four ginormous partners. Um, well, and it's also interesting to hear you say that new partners take, you know, 18 months-ish to onboard. That's good for people to hear because I think there's often pressure from boards and executive directors like, oh, go out and get Lyft. They're doing this cool roundup thing. You know, <laughs> go secure that partnership as if these things are going to happen overnight. So it's always good to totally hear. Totally pulled that exact thing, too. <laughs> I'm sure you have. Yeah. Um, would you give us a couple examples, Kevin, of the types of partnerships that you've worked on at Save that you're particularly proud of? Yeah, sure, sure. And I think this also connects to the process, right? Yep. So a lot of partnerships I'll share with you. When we first even make the introduction or start the discussion, it's all about going in with a very broad view off the bat. And you know, we have a way that we like to talk about that, but you know, what are the ways that the cash investments can make sense for that corporate partner? What are the ways that their products can add value. What are the things we could build together? Like actually maybe have new product extensions that they create with us that have shared value. Um, how can their skills be utilized? So when we're doing that new business function, we're starting from that widespread view off the bat just to set the tone. Like this is how we like to do our work. Uh, so that if you get a no in one area, you might get a yes in the other, and then you can build the others over time. Um, so in terms of, you know, partnerships uh, that we're proud of, that are all about innovation and that good stuff. Um, so we do. We have a lot that we've, uh, we've worked with. We probably work with uh, a good segment of the Fortune 100. So lots of big name brand companies. Um, and they all tend to do unique things. So there's some partners I've worked with in the youth employability space and uh, in the technology space where they've really helped us to formalize that area of Save the Children's mission um, in the first place. So you might not think of Save the Children as a youth employability-focused organization, but we absolutely are. We, we really span the gamut. For us, those are future parents. Um, so over years of investment, really fine-tuned tracking, like you mentioned before, we've built up a whole global common approach around youth employability with this partner. And they've more recently helped to really infuse technology into that work. So we've built a range of e-learning platforms. Uh, we've even built some uh, augmented and virtual reality tools that we now use in the trainings for the youth employment programs that that partner helped us build. We would never have been able to do that on our own. We'd have probably written a really badly worded RFP and sent it to a tech vendor and gotten something bad back. Um, <laughs> so to do that, you know, so to do that, in partnership with someone that's also funding the work and has a vested interest in something quality happening um, is, is really powerful. Um, and so that, that partner has been very um, impactful. And I think we're proud of that relationship because it's just so integrated. There's cash investment happening. There's skills-based uh, sharing happening. There's co-creation of new kinds of products and technologies. Um, and there's a lot of shared joint visibility efforts as well in terms of promoting what we're doing. So that's been a wonderful um, partnership. This is one of the first I ever worked on uh, when I came here. 
Um, we've also done a lot with medical device sector companies and two kinds of collaborations in particular. We've helped to kind of co-create or field test um, a range of new devices that have a value in terms of our focus on saving newborn lives. So we've worked with uh, companies to build improved um, improved diagnostic tools for things like pneumonia and respiratory diseases in children. It's very hard to do that in a developing country clinic setting where you might have too many patients, not enough time, um, and you're dealing with infants or newborns, and it's very difficult to sense even when they're breathing or to visualize. So we've really worked to build some new tools there that can automate it. They can use the latest technology. And again, those are the kinds of things where Save the Children might know what's needed, but we don't have the manufacturing and technological capability to actually build the thing. And that's where the private sector value really comes into play. Um, we're also actively testing a whole new class of um, ultrasound devices right now. You know, you might think of ultrasounds as like huge machines with wheels <laughs> and like tons of wires coming out of them. But there's a whole new generation of these things that you could like plug into a a phone or you could plug into a tablet and they're the size of like, a, I don't know, a TV remote or something. And you can run a ultrasound scan in a remote environment with just battery power. And you can make a formal diagnosis of something like pneumonia, as opposed to really just kind of doing the more low tech stuff, like listening for breathing and counting the rates. Um, so that's, those are two great examples where, you know, NGOs can inform what's needed and what can work and what won't work in our context. But the private sector is really who needs to come to the table to build those tools because we're not built that way. And so to jointly do that is just really powerful. Um, and the last one I'll give, um, we've done a lot in the financial services sector and um, Save the Children's one of the larger distributors of cash-based assistance, um, right? So if you're not familiar with this kind of work, when we're in a crisis scenario and people need access to, I don't know, rice, the old school way would be to ship huge amounts of rice <laughs> into the country. And that's a lot of negative effects in terms of local economy and displacement and stuff. Um, so the new way to do that is when there's a functioning market in that country to just give everyone the money they need to buy the stuff that they have to have. And either in the forms of actually sending money directly or um, vouchers that they, they can be used for a more restricted set of purchases. And again, the old school way of doing that is like literal envelopes of cash or pieces of paper that say, you know, punch this three times to get three bags of rice. Lots of problems with those kinds of approaches in those systems. So we've been able to work with a lot of financial services companies to build entirely new platforms and tools that let us do that in a digital way a low-cost way, a more efficient way, where we can track a lot of good data and make better decisions in the future. And again, co-creating those tools is massively powerful for our work. And it's the kind of thing that's not necessarily about a company coming in and making a one-time contribution or doing some kind of a grant. It's about truly understanding needs and value add and trying to put the two things together. And it's hard to do, but that's where the real, uh, the real magic is. I'm going to ask you to pull out your crystal ball now, Kevin. 
since we are headed into 2020 here, what predictions do you have for where corporate and nonprofit partnerships are headed in the new year? You know, I don't, I don't know that I want to predict much, but I'll definitely say, here's the trends we're seeing that I don't see any reason why they would stop. And so if that's... A, yeah, we'll call that a prediction. Then we're good to go. Um, so I think an interest from the private sector, even the big multinationals, in US-focused impact is going to absolutely continue. And I think particularly acute um, during the presidential election year. Organizations that have a big footprint in the U.S. are going to have a huge opportunity. Save the Children's been in the U.S. since the 1920s. Um, So that's something we're looking to really focus on and speak a lot about that we do. I don't think many organizations know that we actually work in the U.S. um, uh, through Save the Children. I think... That trend I mentioned earlier, the shift away from traditional philanthropy and grant making into a more integrated approach where it's a whole of business kind of um, focus um, is going to absolutely continue. And I think what that'll mean is that those will then become prerequisites for receiving the kinds of funding you might seek as an NGO from the private sector, right? So if you can't solve their problems in terms of product donations or employee engagement or marketing, you might not get the grant or even be in the running to apply for the grant. Um, So I think that's going to absolutely continue and start to become more and more important over time. Um, And so that multi-pillar kind of approach, that transformational approach, I think is not going to go away. And that's something that's being supported by some of the largest institutional donors, right? So USAID has a whole private sector engagement plan. Um, They've talked about it a lot. They've kind of revitalized what it used to mean a few years ago. And I think they're very serious about it. And so it's going to also start to become a differentiator for us when we go for large institutional grants, those 50, 75, $100 million opportunities. If you have corporate partners in the mix in terms of how you're going to do that work and do it better than the next guy, that's going to help stand out and that'll help differentiate and maybe get a win. Um, so I think that embeddedness of the private sector in the wider kind of global focus of SDGs and having all hands on deck mm-hmm. is absolutely going to continue. And linked to that, and then I think also linked to how we're starting to view ourselves as a corporate team within Save the Children is what's the knock-on effect of a really high quality engagement with the private sector. How does that unlock future value, right? We were talking to a a technology company this morning. We're going to do a lot of interesting stuff in terms of mapping food insecurity, right? That'll give us the kind of stuff we need to be more successful in those large bid opportunities. And so how do you then look three years into the future and say, that was the impact of that skills-based engagement we had with a corporate. It unlocked this kind of stuff we wouldn't have been able to do before getting more sophisticated as organizations, as NGOs, as opposed to just only having that like quarterly or yearly revenue focus, will start to become more important because otherwise I don't think we're really being as um, strategic as we can be with doing the work we want to do. Those are fabulous trend continuation, non-prediction predictions, Kevin. Great job. Non-predictable predictions. <laughs> Unpredictable. 
Well, this is fascinating, Kevin. I really, really appreciate your time. This has been super interesting. It's always great to pick your brain a little bit. So I appreciate your time and for sharing your insights. Where can people find you or Save the Children online if they'd like to do that? Uh, Well, our LinkedIn is very active. Highly recommend going there. It's where we tend to talk the most about uh, what we're doing with the private sector. Uh, We're very shameless about (laughs) (laughs) all of the wonderful things we do with our partners. We want them to know that we're very proud of it, too. Uh, so if you go to our LinkedIn, there, there's a few different Save the Children accounts. Okay. We have the Children US. Okay. Uh, we're, a, we're a federated organization. So our, our page linked to me, who you're hearing, is Save the Children US. <laughs> uh, and of course, you can go to our website, um, you know, savethechildren.org, which I think everybody, that probably makes sense. That's an obvious webpage. Um, but go to LinkedIn first and uh, follow the page and you can stay up to date and uh, never miss a beat. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And we will make sure to include that link in the show notes so that people know exactly where to go to, to find you and all your great corporate partner work. Well, again, thanks, Kevin, so much for your time. And we'll look forward to catching up uh, in the new year. All right. Thank you, Megan. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.